Scottish Business Network podcast. Hello, I'm Fraser Allen. Welcome to episode 77. This is our last episode of the year, another extraordinary and for many people difficult 12 months. And so this time around, and thanks to a suggestion from Scottish Business Network co-founder Christine Essen, we're going to dip into a few episodes from the archive and celebrate the resilience and adversity of so many Scottish business people at home and overseas. There are some very poignant moments, some thought-provoking observations, humour, and a few stories to warm the cockles of your heart. And if you enjoy this episode, why not subscribe to the series? Simply search for Scottish Business Network in Apple Podcasts, Spotify, or the podcast platform of your choice. So we're going to look at some of the countless challenges that fate throws our way in life, including, of course, resilience in the face of the seemingly never-ending pandemic crisis. Indeed, we're going to start by going back to March 2020, and that surreal time when the UK first went into lockdown and many business owners suffered their worst nightmare. Becky Woodhouse certainly knows about that. Having spent 18 years building up her UK-wide pure spa business, she suddenly had to face up to all her health and beauty spas being shut down for the foreseeable future. Worse still, as planes were grounded, she found herself stranded in Thailand for weeks on the way back from visiting relatives in Australia. This is a clip from my interview with Becky at the time. We've got a really great team back in the UK, so we knew they were um, more than capable. And, you know, we've been in touch with them on a daily basis, having daily Zoom calls. And um, I mean, it's it's been stressful because we've not been there and we felt like you know, we wanted to be there to help everyone. But in some ways, it's been quite good being slightly removed because because we're not in the sort of thick of it. We can sort of take a little bit of a step back and then look at, you know, how do we handle this? How You know, what's going to come up tomorrow? What's going to come up the next day? And, and be sort of reactive um, from a distance, which I think has kind of helped a little bit um, in terms of keeping a clear head sometimes because um, it's been incredibly stressful for everybody, um, not just ourselves but and our management team, but all our staff, um, you know, clients, customers, and obviously everyone is just in the same boat. So, um, you know, it's just, just been a bit of a nightmare, really. Thankfully, Pure Spa survived and the spas reopened, with Becky recently celebrating 20 years since starting the business. But of course, as I record this, the situation is changing rapidly again, and we wish Becky and Pure and all businesses facing difficulties the very best of luck and support. Now, adversity comes in many forms, and sometimes it can arrive right out of the blue with extraordinary cruelty. Take the highly talented Stirling-based swimmer, Claire Alexander, who I interviewed at the end of 2020. I actually began swimming pretty full on from six years old. Um, So I took after my mum in that respect. So all through my childhood, into my youth, throughout my high school career, all I wanted to do was become a champion swimmer. And I was on track to 
well, I did compete for Scotland, but I wanted, you know, entering my twenties, I wanted to compete in the Commonwealth Games. I obviously had the Olympics on the horizon, but um, that was actually um, pulled from under my feet very quickly. No thanks to a head-on car crash uh, by a drunk driver. Oh, so God. the swimming career and my mum by this time was a, a very highly respected world. Um, swimming coach she spent a lot of time on the Scottish national team as well and yeah my mum and myself and my mum nearly died when I just when I before I turned 17. Claire's swimming career was over then when she had physically recovered she became an accomplished footballer only for injury to end that too. Later at the end of a backpacking trip to South Africa Claire decided to stay on and take a job washing dishes. I decided to just like chill out a bit before I went back to Scotland and um, I'm still here 14 years later. (laughs) (laughs) I just kind of went with the flow, Fraser. You know, I had nothing to prove. I didn't know anyone. It was almost a great opportunity for me to just kind of really, really find my authentic self with no pressure. And I actually, I posted about this on LinkedIn last week, actually, my first job was actually washing dishes. I was literally getting paid 50 pence an hour. From there, I started meeting, um, you know, business people who used to come into the, the bar to, to have a coffee. And then I just started, like, holding on to every business card that I got and just, you know, being nice to people, getting to know them. And then one of the... One of the prominent local businessmen in the area, he actually employed me as as his office skivvy, and he could see that I was pretty pretty comfortable um, in front of people, even though I didn't actually speak his home language, which is Afrikaans. And he said, Claire, would you be happy just getting involved with our events? And I said, yeah, no problem. You know, I've never done this before, but I'm sure I can work it out. And that was just the start of it. Claire went on to establish Firecracker, now one of South Africa's leading events and marketing companies, and is well known as the founder of the Africa Scotland Business Network. What a bold adventurer. Someone else with a great sense of adventure who is no stranger to adversity is Louise Worrell, who qualified as a navigator with the Royal Navy at the age of just 23, guiding a mine hunter around the globe. I have to say that of all the podcast episodes I've been involved in, I've never felt more moved than when I heard Louise's story. In this clip, recorded in March 2021, I asked her about the highs and lows of being in the Navy, and the low could hardly have been more devastating when Louise discovered that she was suffering from a highly debilitating, incurable condition called Ehlers-Danlos Syndrome. The low was definitely being flown off my ship when I couldn't stand upright anymore, and my captain said... You have to go back alongside. I can't have you on the ship. If you can't stand, you can't safely command the vessel. I was 24, I think, 25 almost. So I was still young. I just achieved my lifetime ambition, my dream job, and suddenly it was taken away. And I didn't know the extent of it then. It all led to years of medical treatment at Headley Court um, and over those years I just lost more and more of my mobility and I lost my career but 
it was that one point being flown off the ship mm. and knowing that's my ship, that's my nav department, and I'm being removed. So that was certainly the low point. That was the point everything changed. And as well as, I mean, obviously massive kind of physical implications for you, but I mean, mentally, as you're saying, being flown off the the ship and, and trying to understand what was going on with you. How did you cope mentally uh, during that, that time? I didn't. It literally broke my heart. Um, I literally lost the dream that I'd worked to since I was four. My identity, I saw myself as a sailor. I was a sailor that ran. And then I was just someone on my own in Scotland that couldn't walk. At the time, I came out of Headley Court on crutches. My family were 500 miles away, and my husband was on a three-month patrol on a submarine. So I had no one. I was up here on my own, losing everything. So I wasn't coping particularly well. I found mechanisms. I threw myself into piano. I threw myself into um, riding for the disabled. I threw myself into anything I could to take my mind off the pain and the fact that we didn't know what was happening, the fact I was losing everything. At the time, it was everything to me. I didn't know how to come out the other side. What I did to cope with it is I had to reframe how I looked at things. When I was riding, instead of thinking I've lost so much, I can't ride half as well as I used to because I can't use my legs, I started thinking, you know what? I've had this genetic condition my whole life. I've done well to get to this age and do what I did. I lost my career in the Navy. Had I known I had this condition, I wouldn't have been allowed in. I got to do it. I got to do my dream job. How many people can say that? So I reframed what my identity was. I'm still a sailor. I'm just not at sea anymore. What an extraordinary example to all of us. Louise is now working as a financial advisor, helping those in the armed forces and the marine sector. Now, any suggestion from me that the Scottish table tennis star Martin Perry is a shining example of resilience will probably earn me a ping-pong ball fired in my direction by him with fearsome velocity. But despite being born with one leg and both his hands missing, Martin sees himself simply as a normal guy. However, he's far from normal because he's one of the UK's top para-table tennis players. This clip is from February 2021. I think credit to my family, you know, my parents and my, my three brothers. I've, I've never been allowed to feel sorry for myself. I've never been allowed to have any sort of self-pity or or worry because they just treated me like everyone else in the family, you know, and, and that I'm so grateful for that because it's, you know, it's, it's made me obviously who I am today. And, you know, I, I believe that my disability is the best thing that's ever happened to me. It's, it's taken me all over the world and I've met incredible people and done incredible things. And I, I doubt I would have come close to doing half the stuff that I had the privilege of doing if I was born able-bodied, you know? So for me to be, to be doing what I'm doing with no hands and one leg, like I'm so thankful for that. Like it's the best thing ever. It really is. Um, but yeah, my brothers were, well, it was just, it was, it was four young boys growing up in the West of Scotland. It was carnage. (laughs) It was, uh, yeah. I mean, it was just, there was obviously a lot of energy in that household. Indeed, far from resenting the potential limitations that he was born with, Martin's grateful for them. No wonder he makes such a great motivational speaker. It was just obviously, you know, you you start going to, as you, as you get older and your your taste for life develops, as it were. You know, you start going to to events and and meeting people, and um, and you get chatting, and then before you know it, you've got great relationships with uh, 
with people and and for some reason they decide that they want to hear what life was like growing up with no hands and, and only one leg and you know as a as a child our financial standpoint uh wasn't great you know and I think that definitely shaped me to be to be who I am today as well and it's something that you know I I, I don't consider myself an inspiration you know uh, but it's one of those things that I do look at my disability and I understand why obviously so many people can can hopefully take something from from hearing a little bit about my life and getting to know me a little bit better because you know it's it's been it has just been life for me you know I'm very fortunate that I've not went through any sort of accident or injury or, or had some you know debilitating illness it's something that I've just got on with and just just you know it's just been me um but I do understand that obviously that's something that you know is is incredibly difficult for a lot of people and you know when I do my after dinner speaking or you know talking to to corporate businesses via video chat these days um it's something that you know I just hope that at least one person at every event is able to take some form of inspiration or motivation from from the talk that I'm able to deliver because, you know, I, as I said earlier, I don't think I'll ever be able to repay everyone that's ever supported me. But if I can do my best to, to try and do that whenever I get the opportunity to, to help someone else in return, then, you know, I've, I've, I've got to do it. Now, sometimes adversity comes in a more low-level form, such as simply trying to make your way in the world when money can be challenging and you have family depending on you. Take single mum, Hannah Taylor. She discovered a passion for photography, print and publishing. And despite having to earn a living and look after her young daughter, she did something incredibly bold and launched her own magazine for teenage girls called She Is Fierce. This was Hannah speaking to me back in early 2019. I became a mum when I was quite young. And it was that that kind of shook my life up. Um, I decided that I needed to become a positive role model for my little girl. And uh, I started then, um, after many years, just sort of bumming about from office to office, like doing reception, PA, secretarial work, um, that I needed to do something that that really kind of suited my skills, I think. So I started going to night classes to learn photography because I wanted to take I wanted I obviously wanted really lovely photos of my daughter Sky and I couldn't afford to get a photographer so I thought okay so I, you know I was able to get a free course at uh, I think it was Stevenson College back then mm-hmm. and was going every Thursday night for a couple of hours and learning how to process um, like black and white photography, like film photography. So that was amazing. And that really started me on a journey to, you know, learning more and trying to find where in the creative industries I should be. Um, so I done, I basically went through every single year trying to do a different night course at college because I was getting them for free because um, I was a single mum. And then eventually I got a job in a publisher's office. So I worked there for four, four and a half years. Um, and it was that side that I, I just loved it, like dealing with the writers and the designers and, you know, going through all of the images of all of the... Well, it was just footballers, essentially, but... like just Are you a football fan? <laughs> not really, <laughs> do you know that? Not really at all, but... And then I kind of 
just done a search on the internet for like publishing or that kind of thing Mm. and the course came up at Napier and I thought okay you should just take a punt on it I'd never been to uni before it was a master's course which I actually didn't appreciate at the time what that meant I just thought I've I've got no idea what I thought but I knew it was a I knew it was probably um punching you know punching above my weight but I thought I'm just going to go for it when I came out of university uh, I was looking for jobs in Edinburgh and it's quite hard to find like magazine jobs in Edinburgh because it's quite you know it's obviously quite small in an effort to keep my finger in the pot and you know like my skills and trying to like learn some more about publishing um, I decided to launch She Is Fierce um, it's a great name yeah where does it come from again is it Shakespeare <laughs> it's a Shakespeare quote yeah so it's like I can't remember why I just I really liked it it's like though she be little but she is fierce right. um, so it's, I just I really liked it and I, I think it kind of fit with the teenage theme mm. As someone who's worked in magazine publishing for much of his life, I was astounded by the quality of Hannah's work when it first appeared. She quickly developed such a distinctive tone of voice and the content and design was very impressive, almost unbelievable given her shoestring budget. A little later on, Hannah realised that she needed to aim at a slightly older audience and she rebranded She Is Fierce as Delicate Rebellion. And now, as well as the magazine, she has a wonderful online store and a physical shop that opened in Edinburgh recently. More power to her delicately rebellious elbow. As we mentioned earlier, the continuing pandemic crisis is of course providing a very stressful time for a lot of business owners. And someone who can relate to that is Gary Turner. Growing up in Glasgow, Gary saw his parents worry about and struggle with their own business in a way that would later inspire him profoundly. This is what he told me when we spoke back in early 2019 on a rather crackly Skype call. I was having a conversation with somebody and I was getting really fired up about an issue and about, I can't remember what a specific issue was, it was about a year and a half ago. And I was getting really animated about how important it was that we addressed this issue because a lot of businesses struggled with with this particular area. It was late payments or something. Mm. And I was like more enthusiastic than I perhaps needed to be. And I, and I, I thought, well, where does that come from? Where does that like real passion for... Coming up with solutions to problems for small businesses. It's not just a job. It's not just like a vocation that I happen to be in this category. It's, there's something about it that um, really inspires me and really gets me fired up. And I think, and I worked out, I think it, it, it must go back to my, 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 my years back at home with my parents uh-huh. and not realizing it at the time, but like over the dinner table in the evening and, and hearing my, my parents talking about the business issues of the day or a difficult mm. customer or a supplier that wasn't paying their bills or having to get a facility at the bank or whatever, whatever kind of operational issue, they always get discussed at the, the dinner table. And I would have been this rather uh, disinterested teenager at the time, um, not really that interested in it. I was much more interested in technology and computing, but I think it must have kind of lodged in my my psyche in some way that um, I, I, I have this real um, kind of purpose and real focus about helping small businesses. And I think because I I witnessed how hard it is to run a small business firsthand in, mm. in our, in, in our yeah. family business a long time ago. And, and so I think that's where the passion comes from. And therefore, I think, um, I don't know, I'm trying to right some wrong, trying to stand up for the, for the small business um, because... Um, nobody else is going to do that. 
Gary is the man behind Zero, the accounting software platform, turning it into a huge brand across the UK. I use Zero when I ran my own marketing agency in Edinburgh, and Gary's passion for being on the side of small businesses was tangible in what is a brilliant product. He stepped down from Zero a couple of weeks ago and is planning to take 2022 off. But if you ever get a chance to hear him speak, please do or check out my podcast interview with him. COVID-19 has obviously changed the way we need to look at many things and we need people with fresh ideas and insights to tease out the best shape for business in the future. Someone at the forefront of this is Mel Young, who founded both the Big Issue in Scotland and the Homeless World Cup. This is a small clip from when I interviewed him in 2020. So I, I think we have to start asking questions about what's the role of government then? So um, in the future, what role does it have to play? So there's the business sector, the government sector, and the voluntary sector. And is the government playing a different role? And, and I think a key question in all that is about tax. I, I mean, all over the world, the government has just bailed the business sector out. It's, it's done that. It's a fact. Um, uh, so um, where are they getting the money from? So isn't it incumbent on us all then uh, if, uh, to, to pay taxes? And we should have a culture whereby rather than employing an accountant to minimise the amount of tax we pay, we play, employ an accountant to maximise the amount of tax we pay. The, the challenge with that, however, is we don't trust governments anymore. They're not, they're not um, uh, uh, trusted, I mean, they're bottom of the pops. So there's, issue, there's challenges around leadership. Um, and I think you have to look at kind of global institutions as well, connected in with governments of things like you know, United Nations, World Bank, IMF. Um, they, they were constructed in Bretton Woods Agreement after the Second World War. Are they fit for purpose in the modern global world? Is a, is a question which is connected with government. And then how, how, what's the role of government and what's the role of, of financing? And I think that that question, because of what's happened, and that government has actually played a key role here in the economy, is going to be important going forward. Mel has founded a project called The New Ism, subtitled Discussions to Change the World. The website, newismtalks.com, and podcast are well worth exploring. Someone else who's helping people to develop and promote resilience is Anna McDonald, a trained doctor and extraordinarily talented musician whose life was changed by a trip to Iraq. She co-founded a charity that helps refugee children who have ended up in the UK on their own to build their confidence and potential through music. This was Anna telling me about Play for Progress in September 2019. We know that we're making impact. We have a core group that come back. We've built a huge community. We've got over 300 children on our books who tell their friends about us and bring them to bring them to class. Um, we work on a model of having... Uh, the, we work on a therapeutic model that every child should have five adults that are emotionally available to that child. So w- with us, we've got our music tutors, we've got our education tutors, we've got our therapists. We've got myself and Ali, who is the co-founder, and Becky, who's the head of therapy. So what we're trying to do is create this community to hold these kids. So things like kids that never used to speak are now really happy to speak. We have kids that are now in education who weren't in education. We have kids who... This is the other thing at the other sort of end of the scale, kids who were studying till four in the morning because they want to make the most of their opportunities and they've just got no one to tell them. Enough. Mm. That's actually counterproductive. Who now are working towards their applied science, you know, their applied sciences who are getting GCSEs. So some things are very easily measurable and some things are... We have one kid that used to come and stand in the corner 
And he did that for weeks, weeks and weeks and weeks. And now he comes into the circle. It's tiny. It is tiny. But it's also huge. Visit playforprogress.org to find out more. Now, there's no doubting Anna's beautiful Scottish accent, but when I'm interviewing people for the podcast, they sometimes say, you don't sound very Scottish. It's an accurate observation. I was born in Fife and have lived in Scotland for most of my life, but I went to school in Hertfordshire and began my career in London. Of course, there have also been many other non-Scottish sounding voices in this episode alone, because in truth, a nation is made up of everyone who lives within it or has a strong tie to it. And just as Scots over the centuries have ventured overseas with their skills and talents, so too has Scotland been truly enriched by those who have moved here from all over the world. Two of my favourite podcast episodes were with two women who are both called Poonam and have parallels in their stories, arriving in Scotland from India with very little, but then bringing so much to the communities they embraced. This is Poonam Gupta OBE, who I met on a rainy day in Greenock back in 2019. I came to Scotland in 2002, and initially I couldn't find a job here because I was told that I was either overqualified or didn't have any experience in the UK, so I decided to do something of my own. At the time, recycling was a buzzword, and I started doing some research whether there was a market for recyclers from here in the Far East or in the Indian subcontinent where I come from. And it became quite clear that there was possibly a business case there. And I started doing my research and finally managed to convince a supplier in Italy to sell me my first containers of paper, which I sold to India. That's how the business was born. Extraordinary that no one would give Poonam a job when she first arrived in Scotland from Delhi. She went on to turn PG Paper into a hugely successful business, trading paper globally, creating jobs in Greenock and winning friends with the warmth and integrity of her leadership. And then there's Dr. Poonam Malik. I didn't know, know a single soul in the UK when I came, got off that plane, although I did have the uh, fellowship awarded from the Commonwealth Commission, so British uh, Council arranged my transition. But yes, interestingly, I landed with two suitcases and £35 in my pocket, which £18 oh, well. went to the taxi. <laughs> so <laughs> my first weekend, I did manage with £17, uh, and the first wow. till I got my uh, first uh, scholarship. Uh, but it was an interesting time, very warm people, although coming from India, where English wasn't even my first language, understanding Glaswegian and the uh, people in the supermarkets and bus <laughs> did take some interesting times. <laughs> Poonam is now one of the best connected people you will encounter in Scotland. A scientist, academic, businesswoman, investor, consultant and mentor, and a passionate advocate for social enterprise and encouraging diversity everywhere from business startups to the boardroom. Let's hope that Scotland continues to attract talent from all over the world. I hope you've enjoyed this episode. If you ever have any feedback about the series, please do drop me a line at fraserallen at sbn. And however 2021 has shaped up for you, and whatever challenges lie ahead in 2022, I wish you all the very best. To find out more about the Scottish Business Network, simply visit sbn.scot.